Welcome to Spotlight, the podcast for the domestic abuse sector. I'm Rachel Ozan from the Safe Lives Knowledge Hub, and this is the second podcast in our Spotlight series on older victims of domestic abuse. Over the next five weeks, we'll be publishing blogs, hosting webinars, and having a live Twitter Q&A. To stay up to date, visit the Safe Lives website, follow us on Twitter at safelives underscore, or on Facebook. This week, I'm talking to Margaret Smith, an idfo with Safer Wales, who specialises in domestic abuse services for older people. I asked Margaret about the emotional reality for many who suffer abuse at the hands of carers and family on who they may depend on for their finances, their care and their medication. We also spoke briefly about what Margaret calls the double struggle of older BME people and crucially, what tips she has for validating their experiences and helping services to support an older demographic. So thank you Margaret for agreeing to to speak to me. Um, can you tell us a little bit about your experience of working with older victims and the, the project that you set up? Okay, so if I just maybe tell you how it came about, how it started. Yeah, fantastic. Um, in 2011, we were involved in the Access to Justice pilot. So that was a working group with representatives from Age Cymru, the Crown Prosecution Service, Disability Wales, um, the Legal Services Commission and the Older People's Commissioner. So um, Steve Bartley, um, who is now the assistant to the commissioner, um, he organised seminars and conferences around uh, Wales and asked me to come along and I facilitated a workshop and I also gave a presentation. So when I came away from there, I came back and I thought, well, what can we do as an agency to improve the way that we work with, with older mm. victims of domestic abuse? Had that been an issue? Do you looked at that before they, they'd set up the access to justice? Would that well, be we've always, that yeah, we've, we've always worked with older victims mm. from um, the inception, from when we set up in, in oh, 2001. But um, looking more specifically at, at how we could improve the services and and maybe yeah create a, a specialist project yeah so um that's how the butterfly project um came about and um i thought of a name and then how the name came up is i've got a picture in in my office and it's, it says on there there's pictures of butterflies and it says um just when the the caterpillar thought the world was over it changed into a butterfly ah, so it's a metamorphosis into and I thought yes that's what I'm going to yeah. call it because it's so sort of significant yeah. isn't it that change can happen at any change, time yeah. But it's, yeah, yeah so yeah. I've got, I'll show you a picture in there also sort of slowly come trickling in mm. we're getting them from other women's aid groups from housing from GPs ah, fantastic surgeries um, and we are getting most of the PNNs now from the police yeah. Um, when they get an incident with a person that's over 60 they usually they tend to send it over to us and see us as the specialist service now for yeah. working with older people yeah. Yeah. so why, why do you think like a like, uh, specialist service that you get more referrals coming through than just a kind of normal generic id for service what what's the difference do you think well, I think when people hear that there, there are specialists out there who can work with, with older victims and they've mm. got the knowledge and the experience and the skills, I think it does make a difference because mm. it is a different client group. Mm. I mean, when women come in here in general, 
we usually give them say an, an hour and yeah. we don't stock watch and say right you know your, your hour's up you have to go yeah but in general you know it's about an hour or so depending on the situation of course but when an older person comes in i usually give them more time you know i, yeah, okay. I might um put out uh, an afternoon in the diary or a morning in the diary because they've got a longer story to tell yeah. for starters i yeah. mean some of the women coming in here have had 50 years of abuse right so um you know we give them extra time mm. and we listen to them and the way they might tell their story i guess isn't it because yeah. you don't want to kind of curb if someone's you know needing to tell it in their own way and just are you know exactly. Like, yeah. exactly so what are the kind of like main sort of differences do you think with older victims in terms of you know what's going on for them like the abuse and their sort of support needs to younger well, usually what I find is the first thing they say when they come through that door is, oh, I'm not sure if I should be here really, mm. maybe you'd be better off seeing the younger ladies with the kiddies. That's what they say. Right, okay. They don't think they even deserve to be here. Mm. And I quickly, you know, validate their experience and say, mm. no, look, you know, you've had years of abuse, you've been in this abusive relationship for so long and you're just as entitled to come here as a younger person just because you haven't got young children it doesn't mean that you, you're not um, justified in coming here or entitled and they're fine then yeah but um that's you know quite common yeah they, they do say that yeah and as well they might say well you know i haven't got a black eye or bruises or a broken arm it's mainly um financial control and coercive control and mental cruelty but we still recognize that as being abuse and it's, mm. it's bad it's, it's sometimes that can be as bad as physical abuse or even worse in mm. some cases mm. so you know we we recognize that and we yeah. let them know as well and i suppose the impact i mean if they've been living in those situations for such a long time then the sort of build-up of the impact of that must be quite severe in some cases i guess yeah yeah and you you sometimes will find that families are not always supportive. Mm. Um, their grown-up children may mm. be supporting the, the father mm. or they may be saying to, to the mum, why are you doing this? You know, you've been with dad for X amount of years. Why why are you doing this all of a sudden? And, and poor dad, you know. Or it could be the other way around because we work with um, female victims of domestic abuse. We also work with male victims. Right, okay. And we're finding we're getting quite a lot of referrals from males as well. Yeah. And looking at the stats, it seems to increase after the age of 40. All right, okay. That's so interesting. I'm told by, um, I mean, there's lots of triggers as well. Mm. You get um, people who maybe... It's, retirement is a trigger. Right, okay. So people have been in work all their lives and then all of a sudden they're retired mm. and um, at first it's, it's okay but then some resentment starts to set in and unfortunately some people take that out on their partners and then of course you get um, what I call um, domestic abuse grown old where there may have been a bit of tension over the years but that's sort of slowly gotten worse and it's escalated into, into violence yeah yeah so quite different sort of situations that people are coming in and, yeah. and talking about yeah. um one of the things that was from the data as well was around like carers issues yeah. oh disability is yeah. another trigger yeah. i mean we don't know what effect um disability would have on on our partners mm. i mean you might have a wonderful partner if you say become um 
you, you, you have severe, you develop severe arthritis and you mm. end up in a wheelchair. Um, you may be fortunate and have a, a wonderful partner who's happy to look after you mm. and, and care for your every need, but you may find yourself with a partner who, who doesn't want to do that, who's, mm. who's resentful and, and unhappy about that and just sees you as in the way and mm. then they start getting nasty. So, yeah, medical conditions, disabilities, yeah. that can that's a, another trigger. Yeah, and I guess that could be another barrier then to seeking help if somebody's concerned about what's going to happen you know maybe feels that they should either just put up with the situation because that person's their carer or maybe they're the carer of their their perpetrator um but also fearful of what their life would be like without that person in terms of what support might be out there or because yeah. i guess it must be in terms of when you're working with someone with those additional if someone's got kind of additional support needs like a disability or carers issues or stuff like that that does that make is that quite a challenge when you're looking at the interventions that you can provide? It is, yeah, it is. I'm currently working with someone now who um, has got um, impaired sight, mm. and she's very anxious about what would she do if she did decide to leave her partner. So I'm trying to work with with her in um, explaining that there are services and support that she can access. So um, just trying to get it home to her that, you know, she's not on her own. She doesn't have to go through this on her own. Yeah, yeah. So I suppose kind of so having that extra time to, to spend with people when they're working with you so you can kind of explore all the different things that might be going on for them and then having to tailor your kind of safety planning to what those sort of needs are. Yeah, and it does involve working with a lot of other agencies as mm. well because... No one can do this on their own. You yeah. know, anyone who thinks they can do it on their own is this quite a dangerous thing because yeah. you have to work with agencies like POVA, Protection yeah. of Adults, Vulnerable Adults. You have to work with adult services. And, of course, then there's Marek because we know from experience that um, older people didn't get referred to Marek. It's only recently that uh, they're starting to get Marek referrals. When we look back over our um, records we could see that um, once people hit sort of 50 and 60, there's hardly any Marek referrals. Mm. But now, there's at least two or three on each Marek. Why do you think that is? Do you think that's because they weren't coming into domestic abuse services particularly anyway, or that people think, oh, it's a safeguarding issue, so I'm going to refer to adult services and don't see the Marek as relevant, do you think? Yes. Like... And, and this is not a criticism of um, adult services, um, or pulver, but sometimes um, professionals, social workers, doctors even, they will um, see only medical conditions mm. with older people and they um, don't sometimes always see, they're not trained or experienced enough to see the domestic abuse, but they are now because they're getting the training. So yeah. this is why I think numbers have increased. But previous to that, prior to that, people I think were missing yeah. they were missing out on, on seeing, um, thinking sort of outside the box yeah. and is this just medical conditions or is there something else going on deeper? Yeah. I thought it was really interesting so Margaret's, um, there's a recording of her doing a presentation, it's on YouTube and we'll put a link to, um, to that so people can have a watch and I think that's one of the points that you made in your presentation I thought it was really interesting that you could have somebody that's developed health issues that are actually connected to either injuries from previous domestic abuse or potentially that stress or accumulation of the you know the sort of psychological damage that they've experienced because that I, like I, you say people might not kind of think is related to domestic abuse 
I've had women in here who've developed severe arthritis mm. but it's not always like just a medical condition it wasn't the case that oh they're old so that's why they've got arthritis that woman who came in has been beaten so badly over the years she's developed the arthritis in the sites where the injuries were oh, okay so i don't think people realize that and then we, we've had other women where um they developed um diabetes mm. and people think diabetes only comes if you have an unhealthy diet mm. and an unhealthy living you don't exercise but diabetes can be brought on by trauma right, and okay. we've had um, women who've come in here they've had diabetes and then because of their depression they maybe haven't managed their diabetes well and they've end up, ended up having losing their sight or losing limbs have been amputated so it's, it's just a vicious circle a vicious cycle yeah yeah, it's really severe impact, isn't it, of all that they've experienced. And women who've developed mental health issues because of all the domestic abuse. They didn't start out, but it's very rare that people start out, people are not born with mental health, you know, it's developed mm. because of all the abuse, the years and years of abuse. Mm. And I suppose if those people, because I suppose if the data sort of showing us that older people aren't tending to certainly self-refer into domestic abuse services, that like you say, a different agency might need to pick that up and, you know, recognise the signs and maybe refer in to health or adult social care or, I guess, the police. Um, that the, you know, raising awareness in those agencies is really important. So you've seen, you've seen that with here. I mean, another typical example is a woman who uh, presented with um, hearing loss, profound hearing loss. Mm. And the, the GP would probably say, oh, well, you know, she is in her 80s. But it's where her husband was beating her, constantly punching her in the head, yeah. in the side of her head, in her ear. She'd had yeah. perforated eardrums and ending up in, in profound yeah. hearing loss. Mm. So it's about thinking, well, is this yeah. just, you know, elderly medical conditions brought on by, you know, age-related? Or is it something else yeah and asking those questions and I'd imagine mm. that how you ask those questions with with an older person might be different as well in terms mm. of their understanding around domestic abuse mm. um, and you, you have to build up a relationship that mm. takes time with someone because I and I always say to them you know thank you for coming in here and sharing mm. your story with me a stranger and I, I validate their situation and say to them it must have been very hard you're very courageous coming in here and talking to a stranger about your personal private business mm. it must be so hard yeah and it's not usual is it I guess for a lot of people but particularly in an older generation where that's probably not the done thing so that no. must be quite a big well, step to say day, stuff that's sort of seen as private they didn't have any refugees certainly no women's safety units and uh, police um, weren't that helpful mm, <laughs> um, yeah. years ago they're much better now um, no legal services had very few counselling services so there was no help so yeah. people did just have to put up with it yeah and I suppose even now I mean some areas you see campaigns trying to promote domestic abuse services but still and it's not still not a common thing to see is it in terms of how services are advertised so again it might be that someone either be difficult to recognise the situation they're in or certainly where they might get help from um, on, on your on YouTube um, it was really interesting when you were talking about BME victims and some of the barriers that they might face that would be different or, or kind of bigger, I guess. Could you tell us a little bit about, about that? Well, for BME 
clients, I always call it the double struggle. Because oh, yeah. they're confronted not only with the um, issues that Western women would sort of be mm. um, experiencing, but on top of that, there may be language barriers, um, as we've discussed, you know, um, older people, older victims, they may be less likely to speak English mm. than younger people because they may not have had the opportunity to learn English or maybe not, not encouraged. They've not been encouraged to learn English. Mm. Um, not that they want, they didn't want to learn English, they weren't allowed to or yeah. encouraged to. So um, there's a language barrier and some people, they've been so cocooned away from life mm. <laughs> that um, they've got no concept of, of what it's like to be involved with, let's say, solicitors or police you know the legal system or you know the, yeah. the criminal prosecution service yeah. so for them it is absolutely huge you know coming out if if bme women come forward you know it's serious so mm. this is fraught with problems you know but when you're working with people who've got no recourse to public funds or to public housing yeah um some women feel that there is no escape for them because if they try to leave they fear being deported yeah. because they came over here as a spouse with their husbands. Yeah. So um, for them, they think, you know, they have to stay with that person forever. Yeah, yeah. So it's quite a lot of work then to do around, you know, what the options are and I suppose quite a slow process potentially for them to make decisions about what they might want yeah. to do. and some very traditional Muslim women... You don't leave. You mm. you stay with that person to the death. You know, it's it's un divorce is unheard of. Mm. And if you decide you want to leave your husband, you will not only be isolated from the family, but you'll be isolated from the whole community, and you will have brought dishonor and shame on not just the family but the whole community. Yeah. So it is a biggie, and not only that. I mean, if you you or I were in a relationship, and it broke down. We always know that our families and our friends are going to support us, whatever. Mm. But that's not always the case for BME women. Yeah. They're not going to get that support. Yeah. So it, it is doubly difficult yeah. for them, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so in terms of sort of the types of support and safety planning that you do um, with your older clients... What kinds of things are the sort of most common things that you do or things that other services could think about putting in place? Well, we would offer offer those clients exactly the same as we, we offer younger clients. Mm. We would offer them the emotional support. We would offer them the housing support. Yeah. And again, we've had some really positive outcomes with housing as well. Because whilst in Cardiff, um, the housing situation is dire and general housing is in short supply. Um, the housing for older people in shelters housing, let's say, uh, is not in such. It's not such a, a huge waiting list. Uh, okay. So we've managed to um, secure housing yeah. for older victims, um, liaising with the council, and, that, and that's been really good. Yeah, yeah. So similar sort of safety options. Um, Legal advice. You know, they can come here and have free hours legal advice from the solicitor about um, anything they want to discuss, divorce, and yeah. Yeah. maybe property issues, because that, that's sometimes a problem. Yeah, I guess that could be one of those barriers if you've... Yeah, joint ownerships yeah. with properties. Yeah, and how the sort of financial sort of separation would be. 
Um, one of the things on the data was that um, older clients tended to be more likely to remain in relationships, and that might be if they're kind of family relationships, which are going to be very, very difficult to ever sort of separate from, aren't they? Um, or or intimate partner relationships. Is that, and I guess for a lot of IDFA services, that might be a challenge in terms of having a lot of the options if someone wants to leave and kind of the, you know, the different sort of safety options there. Yeah, but if someone wants to remain in the relationship, does that is that more of a challenge in terms yeah, of safety? Yeah, they may be the carer for that person and even though they hate how that person is behaving mm. they still sort of care about them and they worry about how that person is going to be looked after if they leave they think that they're the only people who can look after that person yeah. so that would be a barrier another barrier might be that they look after children grandchildren mm. whilst the children the grown-up children go out to work and then they think well you know, if I if I leave, who's going to look after these children for my daughter or my son while they go out to work? Yeah, so yeah. they might still, you know, although they're older, have caring responsibilities, and they take those responsibilities very seriously yeah. and unusually put those people before themselves. They put everyone else before themselves. Yeah. yeah. How do you work with those kind of cases where someone's, you know, kind of in those situations where leaving's not an option for, for those various reasons. Like, how do you kind of support those clients? It's just trying to get them to realise that um, enough is enough mm. and, um, you know, we need to do something before it gets really bad, before mm. something bad happens. And it's how to manage that and how to let them know that there are services available where they can get a different kind of help from from someone else from another agency um or they can just they can make other arrangements but mm. not a state of the death mm. so trying to work out i guess if you're then exploring what those different barriers are then trying to think if there are different solutions like you say to those yeah because that... we do work in a solution focused way yeah. so our motto is there's no such thing as problems only solutions <laughs> but yeah i mean there's different definitions as well of Older yeah, victims. it's really tricky. The Welsh it? Assembly Government defines someone as being old when they're fifty. Yeah. The Older Persons Commissioner's Office defines someone as being older when they're sixty. Yeah. Whereas you and I might define somebody as being old as like in their seventies yeah. or eighties. Yeah. So there's lots of definitions. Well, I was discussing granted. this with my my mum who's sixty one I think and she was quite horrified to think that she was in the category of well you, you, you qualify so, for sheltered housing as soon as you hit 50 yeah. now I don't think some people realise yeah. that yeah so I guess in trying to appeal to different clients then when that's going to be a real range of situations and life experience and there's different generations within that category isn't there if you're yeah. 60 or if you're 80 yeah. That's quite a challenge then as well, isn't it? It's sort of a service that appeals to people across those different ages. Mm. Um, so if you if you were giving kind of like tips to an IDFA service about how to kind of concede that there's loads of older people that could be accessing the service and they're not, what things do you think some, like a service could do to make a difference to get older people engaging with them i've got about a dozen slides on this ah. recommendations for agencies Excellent. <laughs> well, we can steal those off you we can yeah. put those so off i would say ensure that services are flexible and available for diverse needs mm. you've got to um, make sure you, you know you're accessible there's accessibility i'm sure you've seen that as we've gone yeah. around in here 
um, open access community outreach services and programs so like for example people don't always want to come in yeah, as nice yeah, as it is yeah. so I do go out quite a bit and see people in their own homes with maybe a social worker or a police yeah. officer because we're not allowed to go on our own we've got a loan working policy yeah. um, or I can see them in um, a hub which then there's lots of hubs all around Cardiff now we've got them on every estate there's one just around the corner uh, from us okay. So at whatever hub is nearest to them, I can see them. Yeah. Or if they identify somewhere, I, I like doing that. I like them to say themselves, yeah. I feel safe in this cafe around the corner. Yeah. Um, it's quite quiet. Um, can you come and meet me in there? Yeah. That's great. That's fine. Wherever they feel comfortable. Yeah. So I go out to them. So I think you've got to do a bit more of that yeah. um, with older people. Yeah. You know, you've got to meet them where they're comfortable. Yeah. So um, provision of appropriate housing ensure publicity material uses Im images of women of all ages i've yeah. got some posters i can show you and yeah. take with you develop strong links with other agencies and um do you I think there's any particular you, agencies that are key that you were like these are the agencies that you must try and make those links with um well like women connect they've got their own mm. older group so i made links with them and that's turned out to be really positive um, I go to the hubs and sometimes they'll say to me, oh, when they find out what I do, will you come and speak to our over 50s group? Yeah, so, um, so community groups, I guess, because people sort of think, obviously, like, you know, you've got adult social care or, or health, but it's there's going to be other places, potentially, like yeah. you're saying, isn't there, that people Churches, are going to. wherever yeah, older yeah. people hang out. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, and recognise that domestic abuse doesn't end at 50 or 60 and listen to older women, have older women visible, then um, provide more training, uh, develop clear policies and guidelines. When I'm talking about um, making a difference, I usually end up by trying to sum it up. I say to them, if you don't remember anything I've just told you, just try and remember this. Can you ask the right question, the right way, at the right time, and give the right response? Yeah. Margaret, thank you very much. I appreciate your time. Thank you for listening to this podcast. All the Spotlight's content can be found on the Safe Lives website at www.safelives.org.uk.